Nehemiah chapter 9, let's begin in verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Then Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shenanani stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashemaniah, Sherebaniah, Hajiah, Shanabaniah, and Pethahiah, can't say that said, stand up and, you try to say it, uh, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. And you knew that they acted proudly against them, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep, as a stone into the mighty waters." Moreover, you led them by day with a a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. And gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst, and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did, uh, that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they, had, they made a, a molded calf for themselves and said, This is your God that brought you out of Egypt and worked great provocations. Yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them. By day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing, 
Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for just this expression of thankfulness and worship that we see that was produced in your people back then. Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us to continue to grow and learn from all these verses, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would have a song on our hearts and our, our lives would be worshipful in every way, not just our, our, what we say, but our lives as well. And we pray you use these verses for your purposes in our lives this morning. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're in the seventh month still. I saw this last week, how they started the seventh month. And the last chapter, uh, we saw them begin the first day of this month, the seventh month. And and much of the work, basically... All of work related to the walls and the gates have, have been, it's already been completed. And he's appointed Levites, he's appointed priests, he's appointed um, singers and so forth. And now he's in the middle of governing, Nehemiah is. Because there's a way that obviously the Lord wanted them to act and to be related to his people. And as always, as we see all through the Bible, we see that God had intended Israel to provoke the nations around them uh, to be curious about God and to want to serve God. They were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They didn't always have that view in mind. They didn't always remember that. But God said it, and he reminded them throughout different times in the Old Testament, and then we see the fullness of that in the New Testament as he called the church to start reaching out to the Gentiles. And so here, Nehemiah is in the middle of all of this, and um, we see them right there in, in the middle of this seventh month now because we're told that it's the, the 24th day of the month. So they've already celebrated Rosh Hashanah, the new year. They've already celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, just completed there. So they're celebrating, remembering God's faithfulness to the people, children of Israel in the wilderness and all of that. And so now they're on the 24th day in verse 1. It says, um, now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. It's kind of interesting because sackcloth and ashes were a sign of repentance um, and dust and all of that that they would do. And um, sometimes we get dust on our heads and we're working or something, construction or whatever. This is a purposeful thing that they did where they would throw ashes or dust on their heads and they would wear sackcloth and it was like a thing where they would basically show how sorry they are and it was an outward expression of an inward heart change that they would have but this picture of repentance which is a beautiful one is a result of what was going on in the lives of the people there because God was engaging them they were seeking after him they were they were provoked most likely by seeing God's faithfulness that his good hand was upon them as Nehemiah had said and that he was faithful to them and helped them complete the wall and all of that. And they saw the evidence. See, people can see the evidence of God being at work, especially if they're tuned in. And they can see the evidence of those things. And it can be used by God to provoke people to draw closer to him. As we see God's faithfulness produced or shown towards us in our lives, it's supposed to cause us to draw closer to him. He intends us to glorify him as we see his faithfulness and as we point people to him and say, look what he's done. Only God could do this and to give glory to, to him. And so that's what 
That's what he wants for them and so forth. So they have been engaging the Lord. We saw this last week. We saw Ezra and others teach the word of God. We saw the two consecutive days. They stood for hours hearing the, the, the law read and so forth. They didn't have Bibles in their hands like we do today. And they heard the law read and they, they let it wash over them and they were standing for hours and hours and hours at a time and then coming back the next day and wanting more and wanting more. And the result of that was God drawing them even closer. You know, as it's been said, this sin will keep you from this book and this book will keep you from sin. And it's true. The more we're in the word, the more we're drawn to God, the more we want to be in the word, the more we want to live a life that's holy and pleasing to him. And we can't live this life in a pleasing way to him if we're never, ever getting spiritual strength and we're starving our spirits. You would never expect to be healthy physically if you starved yourself physically. I mean, none of us have that problem in here. Uh, we do pretty well, uh, myself included. But, but we, we, you would never expect yourself to be healthy if you starve yourself physically. And it's the same with us spiritually. Jesus said, man does not live on every... Then does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So if you're starving yourself spiritually, you're going to see the sinful nature come out, myself included. And you're going to see that be the predominant thing that people uh, experience when they come in contact with us. But God talks about spiritual maturity as fruit. And fruit is always for the enjoyment of others, not the tree. The tree isn't the beneficiary of fruit. It's for someone else to walk up to and enjoy that fruit. So as we commune with him and we, we see the fruit of the spirit coming out of our lives, the beautiful expression of Christ's character come out of our lives, other people get to enjoy that. But that just, that's not going to happen unless we are completely yielded over to him. So this, so this expression of repentance, it's a result of them feasting on God's word. It's a result of them seeking God. It's a result of them wanting him above everything else. Putting his kingdom first, like Jesus talked about. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. It's important for us as believers to not allow things to get in the way of serving him. We can allow anything, even good things we can allow to become an idol. We have to be very careful about that. So this is like a revival happening which you can't manufacture. (laughs) And the closer you get to God, the more you realize your need for him. You know, Isaiah, when he saw really Jesus, we're told in John chapter 12, um, when Isaiah saw Jesus high and lifted up, he, he said, woe is me, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. The closer you get to God, the more you see how much you need him. And you see this amazing contrast between you and me and him. And the infinite distance between the infinite and the finite. He's in a category all by himself. That's why you can't compare him again against anyone there's no one he's in a category all by himself how can you how can you do that even John the apostle at 90 years old on the island of Patmos he sees Jesus vision of Jesus there and he's totally different than what he had saw him last and how he looked and everything and incredible description he falls at his face as though he's dead because when we're close to God we see who he really is it shows us how much we are finite for for sure so then we were told in verse 2 then those of israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers and so it says that they separated themselves that's important that's what being holy is it actually means to be set apart 
When we come to know Christ, we are positionally separated from the world. We're separated in the sense of having a right standing with God positionally. But then as an, in an ongoing way, he wants to set us aside for his holy use in a practical way in our relationship with him and how we engage people and how he uses us in this world in our relationship with him. And unfortunately, it's more and more in the church, those lines are getting blurred between the world and, and the church. And people are looking more just as much like the world as anybody in the world, but yet they're not of the world. So that's, that's dangerous, and it, it ruins their witness. It ruins their capacity to be able to speak anything authoritatively in someone's life related to the kingdom of God because they live just like everybody else. We're not called to live like everybody else in this world. We're called to live differently, not in a weird way where we have sandwich signs and we're being crazy and just, I mean, drawing attention to ourselves and being weird. We're set apart in the sense that we're Christ-like. When we're Christ-like, we're completely set apart in the sense of how people see us different because the world isn't like Christ. But he says that they separated themselves from someone, all foreigners, Now, it wasn't that God is racist. God, in Acts 17, reveals through Paul that he placed every person in their very specific place in this world that they might seek after him. But there was a, a contamination threat there from these foreigners because they weren't strong enough to withstand the temptations that are coming from these other people groups. And so we've seen over and over in the history of God's people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that the, the, the scripture in Corinthians that says evil company corrupts good morals is true. And we have to be careful that, that we're, when we're around unbelievers that we're the ones that are influencing, not the ones being influenced. That's the difference. When Jesus was around sinners, and he was around sinners a lot, he was called the friend of sinners. That's what God's called us to be in the sense of reaching them for Christ. The difference was he was the influencer. He wasn't the influenced And God's called us to do that. And so they separated themselves from anything that could be a negative influence. But notice, they and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their father. See, confession is important. The Greek word for confession means to say the same thing as. So basically, they're confessing. They're agreeing with God. The heart of the the, the definition is to do with agreement. They're agreeing with God that how they've been living apart from him has been sinful and they're agreeing with God verbally that how they've been living is not right. And they're confessing that to God, but not just for themselves. Notice the end of verse 2, and the iniquities of their fathers. They're taking responsibility for their ancestors. And they're saying, we're sorry, and we repent of those things too. And they're not, they're not technically at all responsible for them. But they see themselves as, as that that's fitting for them. And so they, they do that. And, and, you know, we can intercede for a whole nation. I prayed for this nation leading up to the election. I prayed for this nation. I interceded. I didn't, it doesn't matter if there's 360 million people in this, in this nation. And I believe that one of our prayers, any one of our prayers, can make a massive difference. And I prayed earnestly for this country. That, that his will would prevail. And so he, he calls us to, to confess our sins and, and even in our families and say, look, our, my whole family is, hasn't been right and I want, it, our, I want to confess our sins before you, God, of our whole family. Help my family get on track. Help my family do the right thing. Save those in our family that don't know you and, and, and to intercede in that 
way. It's a beautiful expression of repentance. Remember, these things weren't being forced upon them. Nehemiah and Ezra weren't walking him through a 10-step plan or anything to do to, to respond rightfully. This, this is just what they're doing. They're just, this is just a reaction. They already knew that this was the right thing to do. And they stood and stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one fourth of the day, three hours, and for another fourth, three hours, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Their day began at six AM and ended at six PM. So in terms of their waking hours, that was what it's talking about. There wasn't 24 hours in that sense. But that's a long time. That's a long time to be reading from the word and confessing and worshiping God and all of that. And I think that's a great response to the word of God. Because it's tempting to just let it be, you know, sifting over our hearts and all that and not repent and all of that. But to confess after and to worship after you've confessed that he was willing to speak to you and willing to change you and willing to change the direction that you were going and and the direction that I was going. um, It's a beautiful expression of revival in our hearts. We need revival. We really need revival in our country, in our cities. We need revival in our own families. It starts with us. We need to be personally revived first. Then we start interceding for others. And it starts growing and so forth. I believe there's going to be a big revival before the rapture. I could be wrong. But it would be wonderful to have some kind of massive, not just a revival, but an awakening. Like a sovereign where just it's not just reviving believers, but a massive awakening where many, 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 many believers, or unbelievers rather, come to know Christ, like in this Jesus movement of the 60s and all of that. They're just as lost today as they were then. They, they, they don't have the answers to things just as much as they didn't have the answers to things back then. We have the truth and, and just complete sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we could be praying for. It's beautiful, beautiful opportunity for the Lord to work. Verse 4, then Jeshua and those guys stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. So these priests were moved by God, and they, they recognized what God was doing. They were tuned in to the Holy Spirit, and they were, they were in unity there, and, and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Now, verses 5 through 38, and we're not going to get to 38 today, only 21, but this section, verses 5 through 38, is the longest prayer recorded in the entire Bible. It's a beautiful expression of of prayer to God. So we're going to go through some of it today, and um, we'll see some repeating words. Those of you that are in inductive Bible study will appreciate this. You see words like gave over and over again 16 times, and it's Thanksgiving week. It's fitting, and it's amazing how all these things kind of line up as we go through the scriptures you know, that he's talking about over and over again that you gave, you gave, you gave, you did this. And there's also words like moreover, but nevertheless, yet, moreover again, but. It's like this, this whole thing, like we did this, but then you did this. We reacted this way, yet you intervened. Uh, the, you know, your people did this, but you came in and did this. It's like the story of our lives where it's interactive and, and things are happening and he's engaging our lives and we are walking with him and there's there's action. We don't have a dead faith. It's an action-based faith. 
It's, it's, we're reacting to him. He's working on our behalf. We're recognizing that he's working. We're com, you know, c- convicted of things. We confess that. And then yet he comes and does this. And then we're unfaithful in this area, but yet his grace is sufficient. And it's just this interactive back and forth. It's a, this, this section is filled with that. And it's beautiful to review your history with God. Because they, they are going to review their history in many ways and acknowledge God's interaction with them and an intervening of what they're, you know, in their lives and all of that. But we, we can do the same thing. It's good, especially this week before Thanksgiving. I mean, every day is Thanksgiving for us, right? Because we're so thankful for what he's done. We get to enjoy all that we get to enjoy every single day. And it should, we should have a thankful heart every single day. But especially with this week that's been set aside, it's good to think about just where you were in life before you received Christ. Now, with the youth in here, some of you are like, I was a toddler, <laughs> you know, and I, I get that. But you know what? You were sinful, you know, because there's a reason why um, it's called the terrible twos. And it's actually the terrible ones and the terrible day one and the terrible day two. You know, you're, you're, you were born and I was born with sinful nature. So, there, yeah, you may not remember that far back if you're younger here today. But, you know, it takes just as much grace to preserve you and to bless you in Christ as it does to save you. And you need to be thankful, you young people that know Christ today, you need to be thankful how God has preserved you and placed you in the families that you're in and seeing the great examples of, not perfect people, but examples of people that are growing in their faith and stepping out in faith and obeying the Lord as best they can. You guys have a great heritage. We're we're praying for big and massive things to come from your lives. Generations, if the Lord doesn't come back first, generations of fruit coming forth from you because you guys have a family tree that's unbelievable and as you grow older and you see how bad this world is you're going to appreciate that more and more but those of us that are older that remember the time when we came to know Christ I mean I was 20 I was 20 years old how many 20 year olds surrender their lives to Christ not a lot and I remember just being in that church and I was invited by a girl wasn't my wife then and I wanted to date this girl there's no two ways about it. And so I just said, hey, you know, I'm not going to, I believe in God, I'm good. And she goes, no, you're not. We've been praying for you. You're on our Holy Ghost hit list. And I'm like, oh, man, whatever that means. And, um, but then finally I came and I, man, God just showed me I was without hope. And I wasn't on my way to heaven. And my life was a mess, no matter what I thought about it. And I just surrendered my life. I said, God, I want all you have to offer. And Boom! He just came upon me by the Holy Spirit from that moment on 26 years ago. And obviously many areas of growth through, that, through those years. Um, but he's been faithful to me. I've followed hard after him by his grace ever since. And, and it's, it's just amazing what he does with the life. So think of where you were before you came to know Christ. And think about his faithfulness to you and how he's been faithful even when you haven't been faithful yourself. Think about that. He can't help himself. He's going to be a faithful God. It's who he is. His love for you and I isn't based on anything he sees in us. It's based on who he is because the scriptures say he is love. So he is love and he's, he's going to continue to be faithful even when we're not. And that's one of the things I love about the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's honest with mankind's failings. And it shows how God intervenes supernaturally in our lives, even when we, we fail and mess up. 
And that the, what that's supposed to do in us is supposed to produce a, a heart of worship and love because he's locked on. Sometimes I tell people, hey, I'm locked on to you. I'm locked on. Whatever you go through, I'm there. And sometimes they doubt that until they don't really want me to be around as much and I'm still there and I'm locked on. And maybe it's the bad jokes, I don't know. But, um, you know, they don't really want me to be locked on always, all the time. But God, no one ever thinks that of God. They, they want God to be locked on to their lives and he loves to do it and he loves to do it more than we love him to do it so it's a beautiful expression of his of his faithfulness now we're told in verse five um, and the levites Joshua, cadmiel and all the rest of those people uh, said stand up and bless the lord your god forever and ever blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise Beautiful. Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever. They're leading the people to do this. I love this. These are worship leaders here. These are priests. They're they're leading God's people to worship. They're being an example. They're exhorting them to worship, to stand up, and to praise, and all of that. They weren't manufacturing this. These people can't, you can't make people do this. This was already happening in their hearts. This was already going on because of where they were was seeing God's faithfulness with the wall and the gates and, and, and the word of God and receiving that and having that work in their lives as only God's word can. And then they responded in that way and they were ready to worship. And these Levites come and, 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 and say, hey, stand up and bless the Lord God forever and ever. And, and they do. Verse 6, you alone are the Lord. And I want to stop there for a minute. And I just, again, every time we see the exclusivity of our faith, I want to highlight that. Because in our culture, and even in some churches, they're caving on the fact that there is one God. And we can kind of feel a little bit, I don't really want to say it. I don't really want to come out and say that there's one true God and all of that. Don't ever be ashamed of that. Be bold in your faith. There's one true God. Is it, is, I mean, there's, there's, there's only one <laughs> one alpha and omega there's only i mean no matter what any cultist tries to tell you there's not two alphas and two omegas you know there's is only one alpha there's only one omega and there's there's not many ways to god because it's based on righteousness and no other way to god can give you righteousness only god can give you righteousness through christ so don't be ashamed to say it, especially you young people that are here and you're with your generation don't ever be ashamed to say there's one way to heaven Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. We don't need to be ashamed of that. Peter said in in the book of Acts, he said, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And it doesn't matter how unpopular it gets in this world. It's going to get more and more unpopular. God still believes it because it's who he is. And he's still going to hold us accountable to stay true in what we profess to people. So I just wanted to highlight that. Continuing in verse 6, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, that's the angels, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. He made everything. God doesn't have enough faith to be an atheist. There's no such thing as a true atheist. Scripture says they all know by what God has created that there is a God by what's been made. They're without excuse. But the interesting thing about all of that is that we're told at the end of that verse, he says, and you preserve them all. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. 
For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. We're talking about Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. In him all things consist. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, who being the, it's talking about Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He holds all things by the word of his power. There's no reason that uh, an, an atom should be held together, but it is. And it's Jesus holding it all together. So it's beautiful that the apostle Peter in his second epistle talked about when God's going to allow everything to melt and dissolve and literally he's just going to let it go. That's all God has to do is let everything go. He's holding it all together. He doesn't have to destroy anything. He just has to cease from holding it together. And we see the destruction of splitting an atom, right? It's pretty bad. And if he just lets everything go, that's going to that's gonna bring destruction. He's going to do that before he creates a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 7. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. Abram was not a Jew. Abram worshipped gods, false gods. And Joshua 24 it reveals that. He, he was not a Jew. He, was, he became a Jew in the sense of God setting him apart. And he was the patriarch of the Jews. But he was not a Jew. But he, it's talking about God's faithfulness to do that. Notice he says chose. God chose Abraham. And he gives the basis for it in verse 8. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Gershgamites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. So he saw Abraham's heart, and he saw the faithfulness there. I don't know on what basis or how all that worked, but we're told that that's what he saw, and he just chose him. And God can do that. God chooses us. We're, we're chosen. It's revealed in Scripture that we're elected, that we're chosen, and all of that. And so that's something that we could be thankful for, that we are chosen by God. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But he chose us. He elected us. And it's a beautiful expression of his grace. Verse 9. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. So those, all those plagues and all of that, that was for God to be made famous. And that name was still there to this day. They still know all about that. They can, they can choose to not put all that history in their history books and say it never happened. I mean, I wouldn't either if I were them. I wouldn't have put that in my history books of what happened. But it still happened and they still know that, that those things occurred. Verse 11. And you divided the sea before them. So that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Now the skeptics say, but it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. 
And it was just, a, it wasn't very deep whatsoever. And so they went through this whole little, you know, sea that was very small and very shallow and, and all of that. And, and what's funny is, is that if it was that small and not a big deal for the, for the Jews to cross over, which that's what they're trying to accomplish with saying that, then how did Pharaoh's army drown? You know, it doesn't make any sense. But here it says, as you threw them into the deep, not the shallow end, in the deep end, as a stone into the mighty waters. And how would you go on, if it's, if it's like a swamp or whatever, and, every, and it's just so easy, then how, is you, how are you going to have dry ground, too, that they're going to cross over? And then he gets into their being sustained in the wilderness. Verse 12, Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they should travel. So here, this, this pillar of cloud by day that would shield them from the sun. They were out in the heat, of course, and it was shielded them. And it, and it was an evidence, anyone that was around them, that God's providing in that way. But also this pillar of fire at night that would lead them if they would leave or have to go after it was dark and all of that. And it was a beautiful expression of God's faithfulness. So he's worshiping, they're worshiping related to that. And you came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Now, they said to Moses after that happened, you know, like, we, want, we don't want to hear him speak to us anymore. You just have, you, you deal, deal with all that communication stuff. We don't want, I mean, there is earthquakes and trembling and all of that and smoke and everything. They're like, okay, that's too awesome for us. Uh, Moses, just you, you, and, you and him work that out with the communication thing. Um, I don't really, you know, we don't really want to deal with that, you know. Um, but he was faithful to speak to them. But notice it says it in verse 13, and gave them just ordinances and true laws good statutes and commandments. That's a good reminder for us. The law is good. The Old Testament law is great. There's nothing wrong with it at all. We just can't live up to it 100% at all. And, but it's good. You know, they had no other laws like this. I mean, you have to remember, there's laws in here about cleanliness and hygiene and how to have, you know, how to deal with someone that accidentally kills your animal or kills a person versus doing it uh, you know, volitionally or on purpose, and all these things as the basis of our our laws and our in, in the Western world, and it's it's beautiful. It's a perfect picture. God knew exactly what He was doing. They didn't know anything about cleanliness. They didn't know anything about bacteria. They had no idea about cross contamination. They had no idea about any of those things. And God laid out a law saying, "This is how you should live, and if you follow it, you'll be blessed." And they did, and they were blessed. Until they stop doing it and stop following it. And then God disciplined them. It's the same with us today. So for us to be thankful for God's word. To be thankful that he gave us his word. And, and to feast upon it. And to obey it. And all of that. And see it as, as a, a, the privileged life that, that it is. That how he produces that life through it. It's, it's, it's amazing for us. Verse 15. Or actually 14. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of, your, of Moses, your servant. And this is something that they, no, one, no one did back then. They would either rest too much and be lazy and slothful, but most of the time people would go seven days a week. And even the Jews, had, they were so ambitious and industrious 
they had to have a limitation because they would just keep going and going and going and going and never stop. And the way they tried to abuse the manna and all of that, and they would try to do, get double. And I mean, it's just every way that they could misuse that, they tried to do that. It's just how, how we are. And, and so he gave them that day of rest. He gave them these precepts, statutes, and, and laws and provided Moses um, as, a, as a leader. Verse 15, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you have sworn to give them. Someone has calculated how much manna came every day. It's 45,000 tons to feed those people every single day. And it was twice on Friday because they weren't supposed to collect it on Saturday. So 90,000 tons of manna fell on Fridays, 11 millions of gallons of water a day to keep all of them um, watered, for lack of a better word, to keep them with with water and and not thirsty and all of that. So, you know, we can get used to God's provision. I mean, this is supernatural provision. This happened for 40 years. God provided for them. Supernatural things happen for 40 years, even way less than that. Our hearts, if they're not right, can get callous to that. It's like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And you think, how is that possible? How could they, and he's going to mention in a minute about their clothes not wearing out and all that, but how can you get used to that and have it not produce awe and a desire to honor God and to obey him when you're seeing something supernatural? Because after a while, the deception is it's not supernatural. We can start thinking, it's not supernatural. This, is just, this just happens. This is just the way that the natural order of things works. He's not feeding anybody else with manna. <laughs> There's no other rocks that we know of that are having water come out of, out of them. But somehow in our minds we can think it's just it's not that big of a deal. And we have to be careful with that. Recognizing that God is providing for us. God is working in our lives and he wants us to recognize his provision and be thankful for that. And again, the time of the year that we're thanking the Lord. To thank him for his, his provision in our lives. To thank him for his faithfulness. To thank him for what he's done. Instead of focusing on what he hasn't done, we all can do that at times. Focus on which, well, what he, we wish he would do more. We all can do that. But he wants us to honor him by focusing on how he's been faithful because it's been substantial. Verse 16, but they, our fathers, acted proudly, hardened their necks. How do you do that? How do you harden your neck, you know? Um, it's, this just means stubbornness. And, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. Not that they couldn't obey, verse 17. They refused to obey. And they were not mindful of your wonders. That's what I was just talking about. Not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. Back to Egypt. Now notice the next word. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Here God was providing supernaturally for them all this time. They were stiffening their necks. They were not obeying. They refused to obey. It's not that they couldn't obey. They refused to obey. That's usually what we're doing, right? Usually we're not disobeying by accident. Usually we're disobeying on purpose. Anyone tells you that they have a normal pattern of disobeying God on accident? Um, 
I'm not so sure about that. It's on purpose. We sin on purpose 98% of the time. And, and so we, you know, here we are with seeing how they were chastised by the Lord. They were recognized by the Lord, you know, through this whole portion of scripture as ones that weren't mindful of God's wonders. They took, it, they, they took for granted the things that God did in a supernatural way and they disobeyed him and he noticed it. But now look at his response. You are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, he, he is locked on to us. And when we fall short, even when we do it willfully, which is most of the time, he's still there waiting for us. He wants us to confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's called the Christian bar of soap. You know, on a regular basis, because we sin every day, we need to confess our sins to him. We don't have to confess it to a priest. Aren't you thankful? I am so thankful I'm not confessing. I think I did that once, maybe twice, and I, I'm surprised they even let me do it the second time after the first time. Um, but, man, I was done with that after the, after the first and second time. But we confess those things to him. And ask him to forgive us. And he is never going to leave us. He's never going to be forsaking us. He's always going to be merciful. He's always going to be slow to anger. And so we need to thank God today, right now, and this week and always, that he is who he is. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. Yes, he disciplines us. That's true. And what loving father doesn't? But that, doesn't, that means also that's an expression of his love towards us, that he's willing to discipline us, to get us back on track. And we don't want to be you know, having to experience that. But he will do that if we need it because he is loving. So he's always going to be ready to pardon. Isn't that great news for us to th- hear him say this? This is people that are in the old covenant, not even the new covenant that we're a part of. That's a better covenant. Ready to pardon. Ready Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness. We need to let that resonate in our hearts for a minute. Because we fall short every day. And some of us, when we fall short, we go away from him. You know, sometimes people struggle and we won't see him for a while here. It's like saying, you know, I'm, not, I'm getting sicker and sicker, but I'm not going to go to the hospital. The more sick I get, the less likely I'm going to even go through those doors of the hospital. It doesn't make any sense. That's, that's what we're here for is to grow and to mature. And if we can't be, you know, uh, transparent and honest and humble here, where can we go for that? And God knows that we all need that. We all need each other to be encouraging and to to support us in prayer, to intercede for us and be encouraging and point us to the Lord, not condemn us, of course. And and so it's a beautiful picture of really of the the body of Christ because that's how... That's how um, God has set things up. Verse 18. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt and worked great provocations. Yeah, like, (laughs) it's like, oh man. Aaron. Yeah, we've, this this calf just popped out. You know, I mean, I mean, he for sure didn't realize this thing was going to be recorded for later for people. I mean, just say that. I mean, that's like the worst. Th- like, try to think of a worse thing he could say at that moment. You know, this, 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 this gold calf popped out. Um, horrible. 
But God was still faithful, good and, and amazing God all the time. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart for them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. Again, God in the face of unfaithfulness is still going to be who he is. He's still going to be faithful to us. And what that does is it melts our hearts. Because the more we see how gracious he is, sometimes people think grace, the grace of God or the perceived grace of God is a, is a license to sin or a license, it'll just cause people to sin more because they'll take advantage of it. No, I don't believe that. Because the more we appropriate God's grace and forgiveness and love, the less we want to sin against him, the less we want to do the wrong thing. And it makes us want to guard our time with him every day to have that time reading and worshiping and praying and all of that. Because we know ourselves and we know how we could fall short. And so the grace is the means by which we grow by having an understanding of that. The more a person is struggling in their walk, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you're struggling big time. And you have these, these things that you just seem to not get victory over. The answer is you learning about grace. And, and appropriating God's grace in your life by receiving, asking for him to pour out his grace on you and all those things that are associated with it because that's what causes us to live a holy life. Titus chapter 2 says, the grace that appeared to all men teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts. Grace teaches us to be holy. Not legalism, not harshness, not condemnation. What causes us to grow is the grace of God. That's why he says, come boldly into the throne room of grace. That's the only way we could come boldly. We couldn't even come at all if it wasn't a throne of grace. But he says, come boldly. That means he's expecting us to come to him. When someone tells you to come boldly over to their house and show up any time without calling or whatever, and they, they, you know, they want you to do it. They're tested. I you know, don't say that, but there are people that say that. Hey, come over any time. You don't have to call to show up at any time, whatever condition that we're in. You're, you know, there are people that are like that. They're offended when you don't take them up on it. That's what God's doing. Take me up on it. Come boldly into the throne of grace in your time of need because we have a high priest that can empathize with our weaknesses because the Lord Jesus walked this life. He lived this life, not having a sinful nature, but he still walked this, this life. God is still faithful. Verse 20. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Wow. Wow. Now think about that. They have children too. How fast do kids go through shoes? You know, uh, I don't know if they switched them out or whatever as the kids grew, or but they never wore out. Their clothes didn't wear out, and their feet did not swell. How would you like that? I had my one time I was in the Philippines, and I'm serious. You could have if you drew a cartoon of me and exaggerated it by having these massive feet. You wouldn't have. You would have been right on the mark because I was swollen up. I don't know what I was. I think I was retaining water or something. But my feet were like the only thing I can think of. Or okay, I'm sorry. This is my brain. But Stretch Armstrong. You know, you could poke a hole in Stretch Armstrong like that, and it would stay there. You know, until it would slowly. Come. That's how my feet were. It was. It was. It was scaring people. You know, it's like huge feet or whatever. And and so I 
man, I had to say, great, this is amazing. I mean, I, I appreciate this so much because I know what it's like to have feet that swell up. So none of that, none of that happened. They wore these, the same thing for 40 years. They just, you know, came back in style. It was, they still had them, you know, and, uh, and, and they wore them. But no one's looking in the wilderness. It's not like it, it matters about style. But God's faithfulness, he, he was, he's a, able to stop entropy, basically, stop things being wear, you know, wearing out and, and withstand anything that would happen in terms of, of their personal clothing and items and all that. And it's the same with us. God sustains us. He makes things last longer. How many can testify to that? He makes things last longer. He makes things stretch. Oh, I can't even tell you how many stories of making things stretch and, and then provides just by unexpected means. You know, someone will just drop a bag of groceries on your doorstep or they'll slip you some cash or they'll, whatever it is. I mean, all through the history of God's people, God has used the rest of the body of Christ to help sustain people, and it's beautiful. And so God is able to do that. He does do that. They're worshiping God as a result of his faithfulness through the whole thing. It's beautiful. This week, as we think about Thanksgiving and we celebrate, hopefully we're with our families and we don't get in too many discussions about things that can cause division and all of that hopefully there's peace on Thursday Um, but just to think about God's faithfulness and to think about how he's been faithful in every way to us and that's supposed to produce in us a life that's dedicated to even more obedience even more love um, expressed to him even more acts of faith even more obedience to his word, all those things. But it starts with confession. And if you're here this morning and there's things you need to confess to him, confess them. As we sing the last couple songs here in a moment, confess those sins to him, repent of those things. Repenting means to have a change of mind. So basically you're, you're deciding to, to obey him in that area from now on. But it's not just making a decision though, it's having that communion with him on a regular basis through his word, through prayer, through being around other uh, more God's people, all those things, and getting that, that spiritual strength to live a life that's pleasing to him, to burn bridges where you need to burn bridges, whether they be relationships or whatever. Um, you know, you put a filter on your computer or clear out your house of, of stuff that's not pleasing to him or stop doing things or going places that you know you shouldn't. All those things demonstrate to him that you really repented. And that means that you're making that change and you're going to be relying upon him to give you the grace and the strength to live a life that's pleasing to him. That's what he wants. That's how you can truly thank him. By letting him change your life to where you're letting him lead it and empower it to be the person that he's called you to be. That's how we bring him, bring him glory. Don't walk in condemnation. Remember, last week we saw... Him, the people, the, the leadership say, don't mourn. Don't mourn. Celebrate. There's joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He didn't want this, this, the word of God to be mistaken by the people as a punishment and that he was condemning them. He wasn't condemning them at all. Again, con- condemnation is, draws us away from God and conviction draws us to him. So we're not supposed to condemn ourselves over our failures. We're supposed to confess those things to him, ask for forgiveness, and then go forward and not walk in a cloud of, of condemnation because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these 21 verses and the, we just worship you. We just thank you for just being so good to us. 
Father, as we approach and get ready to engage you in this worship now, we just pray, Lord, that you would see our hearts, God. We pray, Father, that you would um, help us if in the areas we need changing, Lord. Those things that you've revealed to your servants today, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us, Lord. Help us to know what's the next steps. Help, help us to know how to break those ties, how to burn those bridges, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us. Help us to live lives that are worthy of you. And we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for your great faithfulness to us, especially the cross. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.